So this morning we're going to conclude our sermon series uh, called Bounce Back. All this month we've been talking about how to find resilience in times of crisis and in times of trouble. We've been making our way through the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, hearing the story of one of the most difficult times in Jesus' life, one of the most challenging moments in his ministry. And this morning, we're going to pick up the story right where we left it off this week. This morning, I'm going to begin our reading in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, beginning in verse 31, so we can hear the whole of this story. Mark, chapter 6, beginning with verse 31. Listen for God's voice as we hear hear this story of Jesus. Jesus said to the disciples, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away, so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. They said to him, are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves have you got? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. The word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Not long ago, I saw an obituary a man named Lauren Dowsey. Lauren Dowsey was a member of the Menominee First United Methodist Church. He was, for many years when I was a teenager, my Sunday school teacher. Year after year, when they said, who wants to volunteer to lock themselves up in a small room with a bunch of teenagers on Sunday morning, Lauren was the first one to raise his hand. He was the first and often the only one to sign up to work with the young people in the church. When I saw his obituary the other week, I got to thinking about my memories of Lauren, and as I did, there was one memory that was particularly vivid, one story I want to share with you today. The story goes like this. When I was 17 years old, 
I got a call from the director up at Camp Michigami. Camp Michigami is a United Methodist summer camp way up in the UP, about a half hour west of Marquette. I started going up to Camp Michigami when I was nine years old, and I never missed a summer after that. And when I was 17 years old, the director at Camp Michigami called me up, and she said, we have got kind of an emergency. She said, we need somebody to lead. We need a camp dean for this summer's elementary camp. We had somebody all lined up, but then that fell through. And I said, well, that's nice. Then naturally you called me and and, and you thought of me. And she said, no, we called every competent, emotionally stable adult we could think of. And they were all busy that week. None of them could do it. And so finally, when we were well and truly desperate, we called you. And we were wondering, do you think you might be willing to come up and lead, lead a week of camp, lead our elementary camp? Now, you need to know that this would never happen these days. These days, they would never put a 17-year-old in charge of a week of camp. These days, 17 is not even old enough to be a camp counselor. But it was the 1990s, and we did all sorts of silly things back in the 1990s, including putting 17-year-olds in charge of a week of summer camp. And I was honored to be asked, and if I'm honest, I was a little bit proud of myself that they thought to call me. And so I said, sure. I said, absolutely. I can do that. And she said, oh, good. She said, let me know when you've got all of your counselors recruited. And I said, excuse me? And she said, well, yes, she said, that's the main thing that the camp dean does. We need you to plan the week, and we need you to come up and preach and things. But the main thing, the most important thing you do is to recruit the counseling staff. All we need you to do is find about 20 people who are willing to give up a week of their summer vacation in order to live in a mosquito-infested cabin 100 yards from the nearest outhouse with a bunch of somebody else's 10-year-old. She said, it shouldn't be that hard. Call me when you got a list. And that's when I knew I was in trouble. That's when I knew that I was in over my head. Because the thing about being 17 years old is you don't actually know anybody. All of the people I knew were 17 years old also. And most of them weren't interested in helping out with a week of summer camp. I didn't know who I was going to ask. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then suddenly I realized the obvious starting place, the obvious place to start my recruiting was Menominee First United Methodist Church. I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to those people people who have shaped my faith and who have loved me for so well for for so many years. And so on Sunday morning, I got up in front of the church and I made an announcement. I said, hey, everybody, I I want you to know that they've asked me to to come up and lead a week of camp at Camp Michigami this summer. And all of those people who shaped my faith and who had loved me so well for so many years, they all smiled and they beamed because they were so proud of me and glad that I had turned out so well. And then I said, and I'm going to need some help. And suddenly all of those people who had shaped my faith and loved me so well for so many years started studying the stained glass windows. And (laughs) And flipping through the hymnals just to see if they could find a hymn that they'd never seen before. And I said, well, after worship, I'm going to be standing over by the door with a sign-up sheet. And that's what I did. After worship, I stood over by the door with the sign-up sheet. And all of those people who had shaped my faith 
and who had loved me so well for so many years, they shuffled on past and they didn't look me in the eye as they were going past out the back door of the church. And the sanctuary started to empty out and I said, oh no. I said, I am in big trouble. If I can't get the church people to help me out, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm going to have to call the director up and say, I failed. You're going to have to find somebody else. And then just when I was at my lowest moment, suddenly who should be standing in front of me but Lauren Dowsey, you remember Lauren Dowsey? This is a story about Lauren Dowsey. Lauren Dowsey, my, my Sunday school teacher, was standing there in front of me. He took the clipboard out of my hand, and he wrote his name at the top of the sheet, and then he gave me a great big smile. And I said, okay. I said, it's going to be okay. I don't have any idea what I'm doing, but at least now I know that I don't have to do it alone. And so I didn't quit. I kept on going. Somehow I recruited all the people I needed to make that week happen. And honestly, I don't remember who all else came up to help that week, but I sure do remember Lauren. The first day of camp, Lauren Dowsey showed up wearing the silliest hat you have ever seen. He was wearing this hat that stood about this high up off the top of his head, and it had this great big floppy brim. And he had taken the brim, and he had pinned it up in front with a great big smiley face button. It was the goofiest thing you ever saw. It was so goofy that every time you looked at him, you just couldn't help but smile. And all week long, he wore that hat, and all week long, he made people smile, even though Lauren was closer to 70 than he was to 60. He was the first person up to make coffee in the morning. He was the first person up the hill for worship. He was the first person to kick off his shoes and jump into the volleyball court. He had so much energy. The campers couldn't keep up with him. The other counselors couldn't keep up with him. And there were so many moments that week when I felt like I was in over my head. And I looked out and I saw Lauren Dowsey wearing that silly hat and I said to myself, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but at least I don't have to do it alone. Lauren Dowsey carried me through that week of camp. I don't know how I would have done it without him. I am so grateful for my friend. I am so grateful for my Sunday school teacher. And one of my personal faith heroes, Lauren Dowsey, died at the age of 92 on January 2nd, 2022. All month long, we've been talking about resilience. We've been talking about how it's possible to bounce back after a trauma, how it's possible to bounce back after a crisis. We've been talking about how it's possible for us to survive and even thrive in difficult and challenging circumstances. When we started this journey three weeks ago, we started by hearing about the work of a psychologist named Dr. Emmy Werner. And Dr. Emmy Werner made this amazing discovery, this breakthrough discovery. She discovered that some of what we call the most at-risk children, some of the children who experienced the most extreme poverty, some of the children who were raised exposed to the most extreme kind of trauma, somehow some of those children beat the odds. They bounce back. They thrive. And Dr. Emmy Werner spent an entire career trying to figure out what was it that made those odds-beating children so resilient. How did they do it? How did they bounce back? She spent 40 years 
looking at their lives, studying their stories, trying to find out, do they have something in common? And after 40 years of studying their lives, she discovered that they did have something in common. Those children who were able to thrive, those children who were able to bounce back, those children who were able to beat the odds, they all had something in common. And the thing they had in common is that every single one of them had a Lauren Dowsey in their lives. Every single one of those children who were able to beat the odds, every single one of those children who were able to thrive and to bounce back, even after the most difficult kinds of life experiences, every single one of them was able to form a bond with an emotionally stable and competent adult, somebody who they could lean on, somebody they could go to, somebody who cared about them, a a Sunday school teacher, a librarian, a youth group leader, a neighbor, an older sibling, the children who were most resilient, the people who are most resilient are the people who don't have to be resilient alone. That's what Dr. Emmy Warner discovered. And if you've been paying attention to the stories that we've been telling about Jesus for the last few weeks, that shouldn't come as a surprise. These last few weeks, we've been following the story of Jesus as Jesus goes through one of the most difficult and challenging times in all of his life, in all of his ministry. And the thing that we have seen Sunday after Sunday over and over again is that in times of trouble, Jesus was able to lean on his friends. He was able to lean on his disciples. When the people in his hometown of Nazareth rejected him, Jesus went to his disciples for encouragement. And when Jesus wanted to expand his ministry, he trusted his disciples. He had faith in his disciples. He sent them out into the world, trusting that they would be able to carry some of the load on their shoulders. And when his friend and his mentor, the prophet John the baptizer, was killed, the disciples gathered around Jesus to comfort him. And then there's this morning's story. And today we pick up the story of Jesus right where we left it last week. Jesus and the disciples are exhausted and they're traumatized and they're sad. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, you know what? We all need a break. We need a break from the crowds. Let's get in the boat. Let's go out on the water. And so that's what they do. They get in the boat and they paddle out into the sea. They get away from the crowds and they let the waves and the wind and the sun heal their souls a little bit. But then as soon as they pull into the beach, as soon as they set foot on shore again, the crowds come pressing right back in. And Jesus looks out over the crowds and and he has compassion. And so he begins teaching and preaching and healing. And this goes on for hours and hours and hours until finally the disciples sort of slide into Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, it's getting awfully late. People must be getting hungry. Don't you think maybe it's time to send everybody away so they can go home and and have some supper? One of the things that I love about this story is that no matter how many times I hear it, no matter how many times I preach it, this story has always got the power to show me something new. There's always something in this story that I haven't seen. It happened again this week. This week I saw something in this story that I never saw before. 
Always in the past when I've read this story, I assume that in that moment when the disciples come and they try to get Jesus to send everybody away, it's because they're not as compassionate as Jesus is. It's because they're irritated by the crowds. They're tired of all these people and they want some alone time with Jesus. I've always assumed that the disciples try to get Jesus to send everybody home because they have a lack of compassion. But this week when I read the story, suddenly I saw it in a completely different way. Suddenly I said, what if? What if the disciples are trying to send everybody away, not because they have a lack of compassion for the crowds, but because they're trying to take care of Jesus? They know that Jesus has been through a lot. They know that Jesus is grieving. They know that Jesus is tired, and they are worried that Jesus is going to overextend himself. He's going to overexert himself, and so they are giving Jesus a way out. They're giving Jesus a gracious way to get out of all of this teaching and healing and preaching and take a break and get a little bit of rest. But Jesus isn't ready to send the people home yet. And so he looks at the disciples and he says, well, why don't, why don't you give them something to eat? And the disciples say, Jesus, it would cost a fortune to buy food for all of these people, even if there were a mire out here in the wilderness, which there is not. And so Jesus says, well, how much bread do you have? And so they go and they look and they say, Jesus, we have got five loaves and two fishes. Always in the past, I assumed that the disciples put up such a fight that they kept raising objections to Jesus' plan because they thought it was a dumb plan because they didn't have enough faith in Jesus, because they were lazy and they didn't actually want to feed all those people. But again, this week as I was reading the story, I noticed something I never noticed before. Jesus asked the disciples, how many loaves do we have? And the disciples don't just count how many loaves they have, they count the fish too. The disciples actually do more than Jesus asked them to do. They go above and beyond the call of duty. They bend over backwards trying to figure out if there is a way that they can do what Jesus wants them to do. They want to help Jesus feed the crowd. It's just that they can't see how that's possible, how that's going to happen. Jesus says, five loaves and two fishes, okay. We can work with that. He says, organize the people and have everybody sit down. So the disciples organize the people. They have everybody sit down. And then Jesus takes the bread. He blesses the bread. He breaks the bread. He gives it to the disciples and he says, now go feed everybody. And so the disciples start passing out the bread. They start passing out the fish and a miracle happens. Somehow the bread and the fish are multiplied so that everyone has enough to eat and still the disciples are able to gather up 12 baskets of leftovers. And notice, when it's time for the miracle, notice who actually is doing most of the work. Jesus blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, but the disciples are the one who organize the people. The disciples are the ones who make everybody sit down. The disciples are the ones who pass out the bread and the fish. The disciples are the ones who gather up all of those leftovers. The crowd gets to eat and Jesus gets to take a break. The miracle happens and Jesus also gets to rest. Why? Because Jesus understands that this work that God has given him is work that he doesn't have to do alone. He can lean on his companions. He can lean on the disciples. He can lean on his friends. He doesn't have to do it all by himself. Now maybe these last few weeks you've been following along through the sermon series and you've been that I can't even tell where the sandal ends and the dust begins. 
I wanted to do the things that Jesus taught us. I wanted to follow in his footsteps. I wanted, I wanted, to, do, I wanted to do what the example was that he set for us, but I just don't believe I have it in me right now. I'm not sure how I'm going to follow in Jesus' footsteps when I'm all out of bounds. If that describes you, if you've been feeling that way these last few weeks, then here's the good news I want you to hear. Maybe you're in over your head. Maybe you bit off more than you can chew. Maybe the world is a little bit too much for you right now. The good news is that Jesus didn't just give us teachings. Jesus didn't just give us an example. Jesus didn't just give us footsteps to follow in. The greatest gift that Jesus gave, the greatest gift that Jesus left us is this right here. This community, this family, And if you've been feeling like you're all out of bounds and you don't know how you're going to be resilient right now, I hope that you remember that you can lean on us and you can count on us. And even Jesus, even Jesus didn't try to do this alone. Let's pray. God, give us the wisdom to reach out. Give us the wisdom to take a break. Give us the wisdom to find some place with waves and wind and sunshine. Give us the wisdom to lean on our church family, to lean on our friends, to let somebody else shoulder a little bit of the load. Give us the wisdom of Jesus, the wisdom to not try to do this alone. In Jesus we pray. Amen.